بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد رسول الکریم اما بعد الحمد للہ And secondly, like I mentioned the verse in Surah Al-Nisa, Surah 4 verse 64, Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He says, A'udhu Billahi Minish Shaitan Rajeem, وَلَوْ أَنَّهُمْ عِذَّلَمُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ جَاءُوكَ فَاسْتَغْفُرُ اللَّهَ وَاسْتَغْفَرَ لَهُمُ الرَّسُولُ لَوَجَدُ اللَّهَ تَوَّابُ الرَّحِيمًا If they had only when they were unjust to themselves, come to you, and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness. And the messenger had asked forgiveness for them. They would have then found Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala indeed of forgiving, of returning the most merciful. So in this holy verse, Allah the Almighty and Glorious is given us a priceless gift. If you do these three things, Allah the last says, I will forgive you. The first is, you go to the Holy Prophet. The second is, in his presence, you ask Allah the Almighty to forgive you. And then thirdly, the Holy Prophet prays for your forgiveness. So keeping that in mind, this shows the intelligence of the foster brother of Uthman. That Uthman took him to the Prophet and he was forgiven. It is of the utmost importance to note that this priceless blessing was not just for the lifetime of our beloved messenger but also upon his passing. So where's the proof? In Qurtubi in his tafsir, Al-Bahr Al-Muhit, Ma'rif Al-Quran, volume 2, page 486 of the English translation, Sayyidina Ali, radiyallahu anhu, he relates, just three days after Rasulullah's burial, a villager came and fell down at his blessed grave weeping bitterly. He thereupon recited the verse which I just recited. And he then said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised in this verse that if a sinner presents himself before you, and you then graciously supplicate for his forgiveness, he will then be forgiven. Therefore, I am now presenting myself before you, so that I may be blessed with your dua for my forgiveness. Sayyidina Ali thereupon said, Subhanallah, a voice thereupon came out from that sanctified grave, ringing with the words, Go, you have been forgiven. Subhanallah. Go, you have been forgiven. So let's look at this. So this is recorded in the books of Tafsir. Qurtubi in his Tafsir, Ma'rif al-Quran, Al-Bahr al-Muhid, and other references. It's Abu Bakr's Khalifat. It's three days into his Khalifat. The Holy Prophet has been buried. And this Bedouin comes, or a villager, and he's weeping at the grave. So he's done the first thing. He's gone to the Holy Prophet's grave, and he's weeping. He recited the verse, mentioning the three conditions. And he says, Allah has promised... And he's talking to the Prophet showing that it's not a grave you're going to. Because Allah has promised in this verse, if a sinner presents himself before you and you make dua for his forgiveness, he'll be forgiven. I am now presenting myself before you. So you may bless, I may be blessed with your dua for my forgiveness. Then a miracle happened. When the he said this, Hazrat Ali said, we heard the voice coming from the grave. Is you have been forgiven. So this shows that it's not just for the lifetime of the Prophet He can do this till the day of resurrection. And in another report, proving further, in Behaki in his Iman, Ibn Asakir in his Tariq Dimishq, Kurdubi in his Tafsir, Al-Bidaya, Al-Mughni, Al-Adhqar and others. Utbi, Rahmatullah he said, Once I was sitting next to the Holy Prophet's grave, when a Bedouin came, 
And he said, Peace be upon you, Ya Rasulullah. I have heard that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, he recited the verse, Surah 4 verse 64. He then said, Hence I have now come to you, asking forgiveness for my sins. And I make you an intercessor before my Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala, and I have come to you for this purpose. He then recited poetry in praise of the Prophet The Bedouin thereupon left, and I, Utbi, fell asleep. During my sleep, I saw the Holy Prophet who said to me, O Utbi, the Bedouin is right. Go and now give him the good news that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forgiven his sins. Subhanallah. So this is another incident, and it's definitely after the Prophet left this world, he's buried, sallallahu a Bedouin. Look how strange this is. Bedouins knew this. And yet, so-called learned people say this is shirk. Right? So the, the hawla is, these are not ulama of the sahab. These are the Bedouins. And they go into the grave, they recite in the verse, think about that, you know, do we even know this verse? They recite in this verse, and they understood it to mean, we have to go to you, and we are asking you respectfully to pray for our forgiveness. And both times, one was a miracle. The Holy Prophet himself responded, and in the other, one of the Tabi'in, Utbi, said, I saw the Prophet in my dream, because give him blood tidings. Allah Ta'ala has forgiven him. So note, this is something we should all aspire to do. When you go to do the Hajj and the Umrah, when you present yourself in the blessed presence of the Prophet you ask. So the condition is you go to his blessed self, you make a dua to Allah the Almighty to forgive you, and you ask respectfully that the Holy Prophet does the same. In another holy verse, Allah the Almighty and Glorious has clearly promised in Surah Al-Anfal, Surah 8, verse 33. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was not going to punish them whilst you were amongst them. Nor was he going to punish them whilst they could seek forgiveness. So in this holy verse, Allah the Almighty and Glorious mentions two things. I will not punish them as long as you are amongst them. The Prophet Your presence is going to protect them from punishment. And I will not punish them as long as they ask forgiveness. So how is that related? Because you are going to the presence of the Prophet reaffirming this. Indeed in one touching report, our beloved messenger was weeping whilst offering the prayer of the solar eclipse. And he said, O oh my Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala, did you not promise me, sallam, that you would not punish them whilst I am still amongst them, and whilst they still invoke you for forgiveness? Indeed, thus here we now are seeking your forgiveness. This is in Abu Dawood, Ahmad and others. Shaykh al-Bani, rahmatullahi, states Sahih, in Sahih, Sunan Abi Dawood, number 1055. So in this flawless report, the solar eclipse. So when the solar eclipse occurred, the Holy Prophet thought the punishment is coming. <laughs> Look at the difference. When we see a solar eclipse, people think it's like, oh, this is interesting. What was the response of the Prophet? He was wounded that Allah is now going to punish. And what did he say? Look at these beautiful words he uttered. <laughs> oh my Lord, have you not promised me? And what was he referring to? He was referring to this verse. <laughs> That you would not punish them whilst I am still amongst them. And whilst they still invoke you for forgiveness. Here we are seeking your forgiveness. So even though he didn't recite the verse, the Prophet he was referring to it. Surah 8 verse 33. Thus subhanallah, let us all rush to the holy grave of our beloved messenger And after paying our heartfelt respect to the greatest of creation, do the following three things. First, recite the above holy verse. Surah 4 verse 64 in his blessed presence. This is the other. Secondly, supplicate for the forgiveness of our sins. And thirdly, finally, humbly request our beloved messenger to supplicate on our behalf for the forgiveness of our many sins.
the eternal peace and blessings of our loving Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam always and forever. Amen. So think about that. People don't even realize they've been given this great gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now why is it so important to understand this? Because who was forgiven? An apostate who used to write the Quran and used to insult the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If anybody was to say to you, will that man be forgiven? You'd think, no, there's no hope. Allah Ta'ala forgive. Why? Because he came to the Holy Prophet. So Allah Ta'ala has arranged this scenario to highlight to you, can your sins be any greater than his? And I forgave him. And not forgetting, the Prophet said he is to be killed, even if he's clinging to the Kaaba. So the Prophet testified his sins were enormous. Even Rahmatullah Al-Alameen said, if he's clinging to the Kaaba. But the beautiful secret was, don't go to the Kaaba. <laughs> Go to the Prophet. <laughs> Look how strange that sounds to many people. You're thinking, brother, you're elevating the, the Prophet over the Kaaba. Yes, you fruit kick. There would be no Kaaba without the Prophet. Do you think the Kaaba is holier than the Prophet? It's the Holy Prophet who is the great. Allah says in the Quran that I swear by this city. Because you are a resident of this city. Allah swears by Makkah. Then he tells you why I'm swearing by Makkah. Because you are in Makkah. He doesn't swear because the prophet, Makkah is not holy. Uh, the prophet is not holy because of Makkah. Allah Ta'ala is saying, I'm swearing by Makkah because you are a resident here. You are honoring Makkah. And look how strange. A lot of people, they make those beautiful du'as at the Kaaba. Alhamdulillah, fantastic. But when they go to the grave of the prophet, some people even say, just give salam. Nothing's happening. Look at the contrast, you know, just give salam. You know, look how shaitan bewildered these people. Astaghfirullah. So now this moves on to the next subsection. And it's entitled, The Priceless Hadith of the Blind Man. Now this is a very important thing to get into your weapon. You need to have this in your weaponry. It will help you. So what does Allah, the Almighty and Glorious First, instruct us in the Quran? In Surah Al-Ma'idah, Surah 5 verse 35. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Audhu billahi min shaitan rajeem, Wabtahu ilayhi al-wasila, and avidly seek the wasila to him. Wabtahu ilayhi al-wasila, and avidly, keenly seek the wasila to him. This is a command. So Allah the Almighty and Glorious says, be extremely eager to find the paths to reach me. Be keen to find the means how to get to me. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is the command in the Quran. This sets the stage. Those, some of the lawful ways, some ways which have been sanctioned by the Sharia to get our needs fulfilled are as follows. Number one. Through the great names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 99 holy names. Why did the Prophet say, whoever learns these names, then he will go to paradise. Because you're supposed to use them. <laughs> you're supposed to know the names and then apply the relevant name. If you want a child, which name is most appropriate to use? You start saying the destroyer, right? What are you using that name for? Right? So this is one of the ways Allah tells us that you get your help, your needs fulfilled. The second is through a pure and noble deed that one thinks that one has performed. Very famous hadith in Sayyid Bukhari where three men were stuck in a cave and then they go think of a deed so we can get out of this predicament. And one of them men thought of a deed and when he said, Ya Allah, if I did that for your pleasure, Please help us. And the bolder move slightly. So what are they seeking help through? Through their own deeds. This is another wasila. Mention that you're... And do we, ever, do we ever make dua like that? Do we ever say, Ya Allah, this deed I think I did sincerely for you. If I did it sincerely for you, please fulfill my need. This is one of the ways. Wasila. Number three. Through the medium of a righteous living soul. So you go to a person you think who's close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You ask him. To make a dua. So these three are some of the greatest ways in which to seek your needs to get them fulfilled. And the scholars have agreed upon these three. But there's another one which many are ignorant of. 
And this is actually one of the most incredible ways to get your needs fulfilled. So first, where is it recorded? Because we need to establish it. Bukhari in his Tariq al-Kabir, 6-209-210. Nasai in his Amal al-Yom, number 658-660. Tirmidhi, number 3502. Hassan Sahih Gharib. Ibn Majah, number 1375. Sahih. Ahmed in his Musnad, 4-138. Tabarani in his Kabir, Behaki in his Delail, 6-166-168. Hakim in his Mustadrak, 1-313, 1-526, Sahih. Zahabi, Sahih. Ibn Khuzayma, number 1219, Sahih. Ibn Asakir, 6-24. Abdi Ibn Humayd in his Musnad, number 379. Ibn Abidunya, Hafiz Ibn As-Sunni, Rahmatullah in his Amul Al-Yom, number 622. Al-Bidaya, 4-558. Hafiz ibn al-Atir in his Asad al-Ghaba 3-571. Ibn Abi Khaytama in his Tariq. Imam Sayyuti in his Jami al-Saghir number 1508 states Sahih. Hafiz Munziri in his Talghib 1-473-6 Sahih. Al-Haytami in Majma al-Zawai 2-279 Sahih. Shaykh al-Bani al-Rahmatullah states Sahih in many of his works. So I'm not going to mention that again. If anybody goes, where is this hadith? I haven't got time. Now we go to the hadith. Sayyidina Uthman ibn Hunayf, he relates, a blind man once came to the Holy Prophet and he said, Invoke Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for me that he helps me. Ya Rasulullah. The Prophet said, If you wish, I will delay this and it would be better for you. And if you wish, I will invoke Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for you. He replied, please invoke Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So stop in the report. So there's a blind man. He has a need. He wants a need fulfilling. He goes to the Prophet. He goes, please make a dua for me. So the Prophet gives him two choices. Because if you delay, it's better. Because he knew he wanted him to make dua for his eyesight. Meaning it's better if you remain blind. If you're patient, you'll get paradise. But if you want, I'll make a dua. The sahaba goes, I want you to make a dua. <laughs> Thus the Prophet instructed him, go and make wudu. Pray two rakats. Then you say the following. Allahumma inni as'aluka wa atawajjahu ilayka bi Muhammadin nabiyyir rahmah. O oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I am asking you subhanahu wa ta'ala and turning to you by your Prophet Muhammad, the Prophet of mercy, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ya Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Inni qad tawajjahtu biqa ila rabbi fi hajati hadihi lituqda. O Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I am turning through you to my Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala, regarding my present need. Allahumma fashafi'hu fi. O Allah, allow him وسلم, to intercede with you for me. So let's look at this. So this is an absolutely flawless report. Anybody goes, there's something wrong with it, there's something wrong with them. Right? Just tell them that. So now, what did the Prophet ask him? Very interesting. The Sahaba goes, make a dua for me. Did the Prophet make a dua for him? No. Sallallahu but he told him something. He said to him, first do wudu. Then offer two rakats, salat al-need, the salat al-need, haja. Then you have to make this dua. Now there's two parts to this dua. The first part, you're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahumma inni as'aluka wa atawajjahu ilayka bi Muhammadin nabiyyir rahmah. But you're going through the Prophet. Look at the words. O oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I am asking you, subhanahu wa ta'ala, turning to you by your Prophet Muhammad, the Prophet of mercy. First part of the dua. Look at the second part of the dua. Ya Muhammad. Now who are you asking? I thought they said shirk, brother. Ya Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Inni qadda wajjahtu bika ila rabbi fi hajati hadihi lituqda. O Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I am turning through you 
to my Lord regarding my need. Allahumma fashaffi'hu fi. O Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, allow him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to intercede with you for me. So what is the Holy Prophet teaching you here? Shirk, you must be a, your fruitcake. Think about that. You're purifying the Prophet's tawheed. Astaghfirullah. Go and join shaitan. Right? So he's teaching you, he's giving you a gift. In a slightly different report, this is very important to add. In Ahmad, Hakim and his Mustadrak, 1-526 states Sahih to the criteria of Bukhari, Zahbi Sahih. Uthman ibn Hunayf added the following details. So this adds details. The blind man said, Ya Rasulullah, there is no one to guide me and I am thus in great trouble. This is why he was asking, because I need to get to the masjid, I need to do things, but I'm blind. And I haven't got any servants. I need help. The narration is the same. But the following is added to the prophetic dua, sallallahu alayhi wa Ya Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa Inni qad tawajjahu biqa ila rabbika fayujalli li an basari. O Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa through your mediation, I submit myself to your Lord that he should give light to my eyes. Allahumma shafi'hu fiya wa shafi'ni fi nafsi. O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, acknowledge his intercession in my favor and accept my dua also in my favor. Uthman ibn Hunayf added, I swear by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we had neither left the company nor had we carried on a long conversation. Then the man entered with his sight fully restored and it seemed as if he had never been blind. Allah Ta'ala restored his sight to him. So now, what is going on? What is the Holy Prophet teaching you? He's teaching you that when you make dua, you can go direct. You can go through me. In fact, you can talk to me. The man was away from the Prophet And the Prophet instructed him to say what? Oh Muhammad. Like he's talking to him. Meaning, distance, don't worry about the distance. This is conveyed to the Prophet In other words, you can be in Donal, you can say, Ya Muhammad, Allah conveys that to him. So you're talking to the Prophet And who's told you to do that? Rasulullah I turn to you to get my need. And Ya Muhammad, imagine people have a problem with Ya. Brother, you shouldn't say Ya. Well, take you up with Rasulullah. Is he teaching you shirk? And then they go, which hadith is that? I haven't got time to the hadith, right? If I give it, you'll go to sleep. Right? It's a flawless hadith from the Prophet So now there's only one question to pose. This is the only objection you can have. Was this wasila only applicable during our beloved messenger's lifetime? That's the only argument you've got. So maybe go, okay, yeah, that's fine. But that was only in the lifetime of the Prophet the answer is no. Alhamdulillah, it is valid till Qiyamah. Where's the proof? This is why I've mentioned it in Uthman's life. In Tabarani in his Sagir, 1-183 to 1-84. Tabarani in his Kabir, number 8311 or 9-31. Tabarani in his Kitab al-Dua, page 320 to 1, states Sahih. Behaki in his Dalail, Nubu'a 6-166 to 8, states Sahih. Abu Nu'aym in his Ma'rifatul Sahaba, number 4928. Hafiz Munziri in his Targheeb, 1-474 states Sahih. Al-Haytami in Majma Az-Zawaid, number 3668 or 2-179 states Sahih. Imam Suyuti Rahmatullah in his Khasais Al-Qubra, 2-201 to 202 and others. Uthman ibn Hunayf's nephew, Abu Umama radiyallahu, he relates. A man would come to Uthman ibn Affan, for a certain need but due to whatever valid reason the Amir al-Mu'mineen did not pay attention or take care of his need to stop in the report so whose Khilafat is it? has the Prophet passed away? right so this man came to Amir al-Mu'mineen and for some reason obviously we know there was a genuine reason Uthman didn't fulfill his need radiyallahu he thereupon complained of his condition to my uncle, Uthman ibn Hunif, 
and he said to him go and make wudu offer two rakats then say i the dua of the blind man then go to uthman again see what happens <laughs> so the man said fine he did wudu two rakats he made that beautiful dua he then went to sayyidina uthman radiyallahu and as soon as he got close to uthman uthman's servant took his hand brought him to sit right next to uthman radiyallahu and he said please inform me of your need <laughs> so before he even spoke uthman says tell me what your need is he fulfilled it so the man was thinking oh ibn hunayf must have told him <laughs> so the man went to uthman ibn hunayf and thanked him he goes thank you for talking to uthman <laughs> uthman ibn hunayf said i didn't speak to him but i saw the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam when a blind man complained to him of his blindness say and he mentioned the previous report <laughs> so now let's look at this Uthman ibn Hunayf is not Uthman ibn Affan this two Uthmans mm. right Uthman ibn Hunayf is the hadith is the sahaba who narrates the hadith of the blind man mm. so when this man didn't get his need fulfilled from the amir al-mu'minin mm. the nephew said to him go to my uncle Uthman ibn Hunayf mm. he went to him and what did he tell him because <laughs> oh yeah do wudu two rakats and then go to Uthman the amir al-mu'minin see what happens So he did it. So when he goes, servant grabs him. Uthman, Amir al-Mu'minin goes, anything, look, I'll fulfill your need. Are you happy? He goes, yeah. So what is that man thinking? He's thinking, oh, Uthman ibn Hunayf put a word in for me. That's how he's found out. When he went back to Uthman ibn Hunayf, he goes, I didn't talk to him. Question, who then talked to Uthman? Who informed him that this man's need has to be fulfilled? Think about that. How did Rasulullah get the message across to Uthman ibn Affan? Because of the dua. The man turned to the Prophet and said, Oh Muhammad, I turned to you for this need of mine. So we don't know whether the Prophet came in a dream to Uthman radiyallahu. We don't know whether he came even in the you know, present form, which some people think is strange, but they've got problems. Whatever the case, Amir al-Mu'mineen fulfilled his need. So note, this proves what? That this dua, this wasila is applicable to after the prophets left us have you understood people say oh no 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 sorry for the prophet's lifetime but what about this report this is uthman's khalifa abu bakr's passed away umar's passed away uthman and they're still doing it the sahaba is still teaching you so this is shaitan shaitan is making you lose these weapons but what do you notice it's all about rasulullah going back to yesterday's session how was abdullah ibn sa'ad forgiven he went to rasulullah Allah Ta'ala forgave him. Not only forgave him, he became one of the greatest Muslims we've ever known. This blind man, I'm blind, Ya Rasulullah. The Prophet said, I can make, he didn't even make dua, he gave him the gift. The Sahaba didn't say, Ya Rasulullah, you're telling me to make dua to you. Look at the Sahaba's purity. They just listened and they obeyed. He went back, he made the first part to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. The second, he addressed the Prophet and then he got his side back. And then Uthman's Khalifat, It was shown again. And yet people say, oh yeah, I'm in desperate need. What can I do? And they get these beats up to us. And then you go, oh yeah, yeah, this guy was on a ship and the ship started floating because beats are made dua. Did they? Well, you keep making that dua, right? You've got these duas from Rasulullah where you can go directly to him and you're going to beats up. You know, I'm a bit confused there, brother, right? And this man was blind. And you got something flawless from the Prophet ﷺ. Think about that. And this Ya business, I don't know where that's come from. Brother, only say, Ya Allah. And then you go, why can't I say Ya Muhammad? He says, oh, brother, you shouldn't do shirk. And then you go, brother, I don't want to go too deep into this. But what if I quote a hadith to you? which is sahih from every scholar under the sky where the prophet himself taught somebody to say ya muhammad you think well brother you're gonna have to show me the hadith right and when you give it to them watch their jaw no you're telling me a shirk and the prophet is teaching it right so note again this is the disaster people have left the deen They're not learning their deen. They're going around like headless chickens, right? Peeps have made this dua, peeps have made that dua, making duas up. 
Next minute, you might be calling shaitan to get help fulfilled. Astaghfirullah. Get this ta'weez, put this ta'weez on. Brother, look, I don't know about all these ta'weez and these du'as from pizza, right? But you got something direct from Rasulullah. Question. Does this mean this du'a will always be answered? He doesn't say that. You understand? The du'a said that this blind sahaba got his sight back. Meaning it's a very powerful way of getting your du'a fulfilled. But it does not say that your du'a will be answered. So don't go around saying, brother, guaranteed. Like, who's saying guaranteed, brother? You're getting excited again, aren't you? Who's saying guaranteed? Well, the blind man got his side back. And that man got his need fulfilled. Yeah. But does the hadith say guaranteed? Meaning, just do it. It's a wasila. Allah Ta'ala says, find a wasila to me. He's encouraging you to find these gifts. And we've been given this gift. Have you got it? And look how amazing. Amir al-Mu'mineen of Mani bin Affan didn't fulfill his need. And the way I think, this is just my own opinion. Allah Ta'ala made him not fulfill his need. So he would have to turn to that du'a to honor Uthman so that the Prophet would come to him again. Mm. That's the way to look at it. Don't think Uthman was being arrogant. He's not fulfilling needs. But how did he get to find out that? Who told him? Mm. It must have been Rasulullah. How did he come to him? So that's probably why it happened. So again, note, we're learning so much when going through the life of Sayyidina Uthman. Not just for blessings. Like he said, for blessings. Is it second month you're on now? Yeah, mashallah. For blessings, isn't it? Mashallah. Mm. And I'll also mention, but I'll mention it tomorrow, that this narration which people have used in Uthman's Khalifat, some have tried to weaken it. <laughs> so think about that. They go, this, oh, because the first hadith is Sayyid. The second hadith in Uthman's Khalifat is, is Daif. So is it weak? So, very simply, given a very brief commentary on the authenticity of this narration. So, the first objection they raise to this narration is their state. Tahir ibn Isa, rahmatullahi, the one from whom Tabarani narrates is majhul, ay unknown. So, the first objection is the chain of narration. They say that Imam Tabarani, the one whom he narrates from, is unknown. Tahir ibn Isa. However, this does not harm the narration here for Imam Tabarani himself graded the hadith sahih and it is related by others to be also authentic. So what's this response to that objection? The one who's or recorded the hadith Tabarani, he said it's flawless. So whether he the person he's narrated from is not much is known about him. Imam Tabarani, according to the collector, is more than trustworthy. So really the first objection is very feeble. It's clarified by a very simple response. Imam Tabarani graded the Hadith Sayyid. And he narrated directly from Tahir ibn Isa. The second objection. Shabib ibn Sa'id, who is alone in relating this Hadith from Ruh ibn al-Qasim, rahmatullahi, is da'if because of his weak memory. So these names don't mean anything to me and you. But if these words reach a scholar, he'll understand. I'm only mentioning it here just to highlight that the hadith is authentic. So here the second objection is Shabib ibn Sa'id in the chain of narrators. He is alone in narrating this from Ruh ibn al-Qasim. And the hadith is da'if because of the weak memory. Again, this is incorrect. Why? Because Shabib ibn Sa'id and Ruh ibn al-Qasim are narrators in Bukhari Sayyid. So how can these two men be weak in memory? And yet Imam Bukhari mentions both of them in his glorious Sayyid. Secondly, Shabib was declared thikka, trustworthy, by Nasai, i.e. in Tahdeeb 4-269, Hakim in his Mustadrak 1-526, with Zahabi agreeing, Darukutmi ibn Hiban, Abu Hatim, others. So this objection is also put to bed. Imam Bukhari's narrators, and many of the scholars say that Shabib is a sound report. The third objection, none of the above authorities have stated Shabib ibn Sa'id's narration only from Yunus ibn Yazid are authentic. Only Shaykh al-Bani claimed this. 
So basically, Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullahi said, Shabib ibn Sa'id in the chin, rahmatullahi, his hadith are only authentic if he hears from Yunus ibn Yazid. So who said that? Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullahi. However, none other authority have said this. Only Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullahi. Fourthly, Hafiz ibn Hajar Askalani relates about Shabib and Istakrib. Shabib hadith are authentic if his son Ahmad relates from him in his hometown of Basra, but not if Ibn Wahab relates from him, i.e., in Egypt. So I'll say that again. Shabib's hadith are authentic if his son Ahmad relates from him i.e. in his hometown of Basra. But it is not authentic if Ibn Wahab relates from him in Egypt. And here this is exactly the case for Shabib two sons, Ahmad and Ismail rahimahumullah, relate the same hadith from their father in Basra as related in Behaki in his Dalai al nubuwa Similarly, Shabib's son Ahmad is a thicker narrator in Sahih Bukhari. Thus, this chain is utterly sahih. Fifthly, some have claimed that Sayyidina Umar radiallahu's preference of the wasl through Abbas instead of the Holy Prophet himself after his passing away overturns the application of the hadith of the blind man. So this is a fifth objection. So what is the hadith of Abbas? We've been through his life recently, but I'll give you the relevant part of the hadith. In Sahih Bukhari, number 954, Hakim in his Mustadrak, 3-334, Sahih. Zahabi, Sahih. Tabarani in his Ausat, number 2437. Tabarani in his Kabir, number 84. Behaki in his Sunat Al-Kubra, 3-352. Behaki in his Delay Nubuwa, 6-147. Sayyidina Anas, he relates, radiyallahu. Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu was holding the hand of Sayyidina Abbas. He made the following dua. O our Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala, previously when we had a drought, we used to come to you, subhanahu wa ta'ala, by means and intercession of your Prophet. Now we are requesting intercession through the uncle of the Prophet, to grant his reign. It was granted. Sayyidina Umar after added this supplication, Abbas by Allah is the wasila to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He, I, Abbas radiallahu by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the wasila, I, a means to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So some have said, look, what happened to the blind man hadith? Maybe this is the argument, right? So they're saying, look, the prophets passed away, Umar is the khalif, there's a drought, why didn't Umar use the blind man hadith? He explicitly said in the hadith, we used to go to your prophet when he was with us. But now he's left us, we're doing the wasila to his uncle. So the argument is, so this narration must be weak. Which mentions that the dua of the blind man was made after the prophet Again, this is ignorance in the principles of a hadith. Why? For the hadith of the blind man is marfuh. An act of our beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The hadith of Umar's tawassal to Abbas is mawkuf. An act of the companions. And as is but obvious, the marfuh always takes precedence over the mawkuf. <laughs> Look how simple the response is. Both of them are valid. The scholars say both are valid ways of wasila. They're not arguing that. The argument is, when you use the hadith of Abbas to say the hadith of the blind man is weak. Mm. So the response to that is, and only that, why have you taken a mawkuf hadith and given it precedence over the marfu hadith? So a person doesn't know what you're talking about. Mawkuf means it's an action of the sahaba. It doesn't go back to the Prophet. Marfu means it's gone back to the Prophet. So why have you left the Prophet's example and gone to the sahaba? In addition to the fact, the Amir al-Mu'mineen was highlighting to one and all other treasured and lawful avenues 
in which to seek the much needed help from our loving Lord. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Umar was teaching you more avenues. He wasn't going against the hadith of the blind man. So what I've just mentioned in these first opening 10 minutes is for the learned. For the layman, obviously, we get glimpses of it. But the one thing we can appreciate is how much Allah Ta'ala has protected the hadith of the Prophet. Think about that. If a non-Muslim is listening, think about this. Why is it so well preserved, these sayings of an Arabian Prophet who is not a Prophet according to you? So all of those objections, if anybody poses them, you can say, look, I, don't, I haven't got much knowledge, but here's a few responses to these so-called objections to the second hadith where the man went to Uthman radiallahu. So now let's take lessons from the hadith. This is more important now, coming back to earth. Let us return to the blessed narration and extract a few most valuable lessons. Number one, our beloved Messenger first requesting the blind man to be patient, for this would entitle him to paradise. Going back to the first hadith of the blind man, what did the Prophet say to him? He said, he goes, if you be patient, but if you wish, I will make dua. So why did he say that, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Because in Sayyish Bukhari, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned that if a person is patient upon losing his sight, there is no other reward for him except paradise. So this is one lesson we can take. Number two, our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, highlighting the virtue of both wudu and salah before making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Think about that. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam didn't say to him, make dua. Question, can you make dua without wudu? Yes. Can you make dua without salat? Yes. Then why is it the Holy Prophet told him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, go make wudu, then offer a two-rakat prayer, then make dua. So this shows that there's etiquettes, and this is one of the excellent means in which to get the dua answered. Second lesson. Number three, our beloved messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, himself instructing that one may address him in his absence with the phrase ya oh so how on earth could there be anything wrong with this let alone allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbid it being shirk so he told that sahaba do wudu offer a two rakat prayer and the prophet is not present and what did he tell him to say ya muhammad so if somebody says you can only say ya at the grave of the prophet is that correct no because the prophet himself told that sahaba in his absence, you can say, Ya Muhammad, I'm telling you to say it. But note, very important, the Prophet is not answering the dua. It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because what does the hadith clearly state? That the Prophet then said at the end, Allahumma shafi'hu fiya wa shafi'ni fi nafsi. Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, acknowledge his intercession in my favor and accept my supplication also in my favor. In Ahmad Hakim in his Mustadrak, 1-526 states Sahih to the criteria of Bukhari, Zahabi Sahih. So that's part of the dua. So what did the Prophet teach that Sahaba? At the end, he was saying, and at the end of your dua you say, Ya Allah, please accept the intercession of your Prophet in my favor. Because I've asked him to intercede for me. And accept my dua also in my favor. Have you understood? So don't you dare ever say that the Prophet is fulfilling the deed. It's not. He's using the Holy Prophet as an intercession. Allah Ta'ala is fulfilling the deed. But the word Ya can be used. You know, people are so petrified of that word. You can only say for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's not what the Prophet instructed. In fact, if you look in the books of Tafsir, I don't want to sidetrack too much. Before the Prophet came, the Bani Israel, the Jews in Al-Madina, when they have, would have trouble with the Ansar, they go to war and they would say this. They would say, Yeah, in the they would say, We ask through Muhammad for victory. The Prophet's not even proclaimed. They would say, Ya Muhammad. And the Prophet didn't correct that afterwards, said they what they said was wrong. So note Bani Israel were doing it. The Prophet didn't correct this here. And also in Tashahud, what do you say? Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. O Prophet, why are you saying, hey, the Prophet passed away. The Prophet told you to say, in tashahud. So again, don't think this is shirk. And the other beautiful thing is this. How is the Holy Prophet aware? 
This is a good question. So a person goes, okay, I'll do the hadith. I'll use the hadith of the blind man. I'll ask Ya Muhammad to help me in deceit with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But my question is this, I'm in Danu. How on earth is the Holy Prophet made aware of this dua? You understand? That is a good question. And the response to that is, when you send salat upon him, who conveys it to him? The angels. Alayhi salatu wasalam. Or through whatever means, Allah Ta'ala knows best. So why do you find it strange that other deeds can also be conveyed to him? So the way to look at this is that it's conveyed to the Prophet because somebody has asked you to ask, make a dua for this need for your ummati. You think you'll reject it? So note again here another important thing. Number four. One may offer the above dua even after our beloved messenger passed away. Going to the second report in Osman's Khalifa. Number five. Ultimately note that one is asking our loving Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala to fulfill our needs. But we are using our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as the most honorable means to achieve this. This ultimately, how can they be sure, brother? You say, brother, look, cut to the chase. Who's fulfilling my need? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Where's the shirk? <laughs> Your fruit cake. The shirk can only take place if I'm turned ultimately to somebody else. But if I'm asking somebody who has a place with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whether he's alive or dead, doesn't make no difference. Because the argument that he's dead is just fruitless. Why? Because think about this. If I was to say to you, Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jalani, is he a sin? And somebody goes, yes. And I said, no, but when he died, he loses that status. <laughs> Well, how does he lose that status? And the response is, well, I used to go to him when he was alive to say, please, Sheikh, could you make a dua for me? So what harm now is there if I go to his grave? And I request the Sheikh, please, can you make a dua for me? If you say, no, he's dead, that means upon death he's lost his status. So again, nobody says that. Again, it's that Shirk syndrome. People have got, they're very scared of this. But here, this is not correct. But ultimately, who's answering your dua? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Of course, if you think the Holy Prophet is answering your dua, that's shirk. If you believe that the saints are answering your dua, that's shirk. But if you're asking them to make a dua on your behalf, how on earth can that be shirk, brother? He's dead. Because you're doing it again. Does it really matter? Our belief is that when you go to the graves of the awliya, they've got the greatest connection with the living after the prophets. But note, he has to be at the grave of the holy. But the Prophet is different. Number six. Now, this is very interesting. How was Sayyidina Uthman alerted to the man's predicament? It could thus only be through the medium that he had seen our beloved messenger, who had then instructed him to fulfill the man's request. Subhanallah. Now, think about that. The man offered the dua of the blind man. And it's like Uthman has now been alerted. You know, he grabs him, fulfills his need. And that man actually thought, oh, the one who told me the blind man hadith, he must have <coughs> spoke to Uthman. But that, when he went back to that man, he goes, no, I didn't speak to him. So question, how did Uthman know? Who alerted him that this man's need needs fulfilling? It was the Holy Prophet. Question, how? So one way is through a dream. But guess what? You can also see the Prophet in a wake state. Mm-hmm. But you have to be very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whatever the case, he was alerted by the Prophet to fulfill his need. And number seven, note also the humility of the Amir al-Mu'mineen, Sayyidina Uthman, that he had not alerted the man to this fight. Thus the man had only ascertained this fight from the honorable companion, Uthman ibn Hunif, did Uthman say to that man, the Holy Prophet came to me and he's told me to fulfill your need. Did he say that? No. Did he say to him, I saw him in a dream and I've been told to fulfill your need. No. He came in a wake state. He didn't mention nothing to him. Why? What does that teach you about Uthman? They're very humble. They don't start showing their virtues. But only when he went to the other Uthman, Uthman ibn Hunayf, he said, I didn't speak to him. Then the man realized the Holy Prophet spoke to Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan mm-hmm. Allahu Akbar and the list of endless lessons just go on and on. Mm-hmm. Therefore all praise be to our loving Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala for such priceless and most needed blessings. Mm-hmm.
So like I mentioned, just to reiterate, very important. Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He mentions in Surah Al-Ma'idah, Surah 5 verse 35, Adhi Billahi Minish Adhan Rajeeb, and be keen to seek the wasila to him. And be keen, be avid, seeking the wasila to him. So what is Allah Ta'ala telling his creation to do? He's saying, be keen to work out how to fulfill your needs from me. I've given you so many ways where you can get my help. And he's encouraging you. Have you understood? So the Holy Prophet, all he was doing, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, was teaching you. Go through his holy names. Go through the living, the pious living. Go through your own deeds. Use them as a wasila. Go through the Holy Prophet, the blind man hadith. Go through the oliyas. Ask them to make a dua for you in the court of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And these are all wasilas. And if a person doesn't do any of the wasilas, this is another important point. Because I don't do anything, but I go direct. Fine. You know, you're not going to be accounted for that. You've gone direct. But on the same token, if somebody does use those wasilas, then you cannot object to him. Have you understood that? This is the problem. People think it's my way or the highway. If you don't want to use the wasilas, don't do it. You can go direct. Fine. Alhamdulillah. But at the same time, why are you having a problem with those who are going through the sanctioned ways which Allah Ta'ala has mentioned, both in the glorious Quran and the Sunnah of His Beloved? So again, important lessons to be learned. So all I mentioned was two things. The first was that the Holy Prophet's grave, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, it's an excellent wasila in which to get our sins forgiven. But note the conditions, the three things that we're supposed to do at the blessed grave of the Prophet And then I mentioned the hadith of the blind man. It's actually called the hadith of the blind man. Whenever you hear that, it's referring to this. And the wording I've left in Arabic, so you understand. And also I just want to mention this, this is another disaster. If you look at the wording of the hadith, the Prophet clearly said to the blind sahaba, Say, Ya Muhammad. In some hadith books, and I've got them, they've tampered with the hadith. They, they say, they, they say, O oh Prophet, Ya Nabi. They take out Ya Muhammad. The Prophet, right? As if the Prophet, you know, he himself made a mistake. We have to take that out because people might fall into shirk. They've tampered with the hadith. Think about that. Of the Prophet And the scholars say, Look at this shaitani that's taking place with the hadith books as if the scholars won't know it. And that's why we don't take our knowledge from books. It's the people who are inheritors. So you might get some versions of Tirmidhi which takes out Ya Muhammad. Imagine. Astaghfirullah. Are there any questions you'd like to ask? Subhanallah bihamdi subhanallahumma bihamdika ashhadu an illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaika wa billahi minash shaitani subhanallah rabbika labbil izati amma yasifun salamun alal mursalin walhamdulillahi rabbil alamin bismillahir rahmanir rahim wal asr insan lafi khusr alladhina amilu wa amilus salihat wa asbihi al haqq wa asbihi sabr sadaqallahu